0: Take a second. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Battle to Be Trauma Transformation Podcast. We have a very, very special guest with us tonight, Amy T. Meyer, and she is a veteran. She is a survivor, and she is an absolute extreme volunteer, and she's going to tell you all about what that means here in a few minutes. So... I wanted, because she has so much to say and there's just so much to her story, we're going to jump right in and talk about, in the very beginning of her career, what got her excited? What made her want to join the military in the first place?
1: So I grew up, um, I always knew I was going to join the military. Um, I just didn't know which branch. And I wanted to use the military to pay for college. And so I joined the military when I was 17. My dad really wanted me to join the Marine Corps. But anytime I went to the Marine Corps recruiters, they're like women. "Eh, We really don't need you. And the Army uh, recruiter, I had a female recruiter. And we actually got really close. She came over for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, We did trained, got ready for basic training, all the things. I'm a little bit more of a sveltey woman. And so my weight was always a challenge and she worked out with me. And um, when I got through basic training, I actually got high PT score awards for, um, I could do well over 60 pushups in under two minutes. And um, I did my two miles Um, by the time I ended AIT because I really didn't do sports in school I did um I ran two miles in 12 minutes and 58 seconds which is you know it's a six and a half minute mile it's not record-breaking but it's pretty okay
0: so you're an advocate of the don't lower the bar for me
1: I am I am that's one of my hashtags is I really feel like there is um that I'm just a strong person by nature you know um I am hoping to, actually, I'm not, I'm working towards um, hitting some state records for bench press, especially for women my age, and um, so I'm working on that, and at, back, I think it was in 2015, um, with the USPLA, I was the 14th strongest woman in the nation, and so I've, i am always been a lifter of the weights, <laughs> So, yeah, that's why I joined the Army. And I left when I was, um, I think I had just turned 18. It was the first Gulf War because I'm really old. And um, I went to Fort Jackson, then Fort Lee for my advanced individual training. And then I was stationed at Fort Drum and then Korea.
0: So when you were in, were there very many women that served with you that you actually no.
1: No, so um, in basic training, it was it was I was one of the first units actually that desegregated um, women and men, and so um, in not in basic training but in uh, the advanced individual school, so I did. It was easier for me in basic training with just women to compete against than it was for men, but in um, my AIT um, was challenging and interesting.
0: So how did you feel about, how did you feel being one of the few women kind of, kind of breaking the path in that, in that area?
1: Well, so that's the funny thing is I didn't realize that I was going to be one of the first women in light infantry. Because I didn't know what unit I was going to, or what it, you know, I knew. Um, so I had supply, and I actually had uh, weapon supply was my specialty, which um, I can't even remember my MOS because it changed, and then they t- went back to supply, and now there is a weapon supply. So it's it's um, I'd have to look at my DD two fourteen to to remember, but I'm not super into my my specific job but it was like supply it was a part of the quartermaster corps and supply and then um but being part of fort drum was their forward uh, um um fsb and so it was a mechanized infantry so it was one of the first women in light infantry and different things like that which I could go into the army speak right now, but I won't because it doesn't really matter
0: anyways. But. So do you feel like there are, do you feel like, cause you're still involved in the military in terms of all the different volunteer positions that you do. So you still talk with a lot of people who are involved. And uh, do you feel like there are, do you feel like there are specific challenges that you faced Uh, that are still going on and specific challenges that you face that maybe are not going on anymore?
1: Um, I feel like there was a time when I really had hoped that the things that I went through were not the things that are currently going through, but statistics do not, are not optimistic. They are not showing that to be the truth. And when we look at what has happened at Fort Hood and different things like that, there's absolutely not the truth. So Um, I'm a survivor of military sexual trauma. And when I was stationed at Fort Drum, me and three other, or me and two other women came forward and we were actually, um, reprimanded for coming forward of being, um, uh, victims of sexual assault by the equal opportunity officer NCO. And so it's, so you know, so I, I put myself on orders to, to get out of Fort Drum to try to protect myself, to go to Korea, and then I was assaulted again in Korea. And so I met and married my ex-husband to, there again, try to protect myself from my environment. And um, so to me, I wish, I wish that the women going into the military today had it better, but I am not, I don't feel confident in thinking they are.
0: Right, right. I know um, I didn't bring them with me this time, but on the last show where I had a a female uh, veteran, we talked about the Department of Defense statistics. And the one that stands out to me the most right now is in, in, as we're having this conversation, is that women um, who report sexual assaults in of any form are coming out of the military with less than positive outcomes. So, so they're being discharged not with not with positive status more often than not. So what that's telling us is there's a punishment factor in there, whether it's intentional or not. It, women are afraid to come forward. Because they may not be protected, they may not be discharged appropriately. They may lose any future opportunities that they would have. So I could definitely see that that uh, whether intentional or not, there's an intimidation factor in there, which is showing up also in the statistics of how many press charges as opposed to how many report the things that are happening to them. Um, I know with my experience talking with people, I have at this point literally not spoken to a female who didn't have some form of sexual intimidation all the way up to sexual assault. So there's always misbehavior (laughs) to some degree, it's looking like whether it's extreme or not. Um, And I think think we see that in, in outside culture too. I think we see that when men and women are stuck together in tight quarters with little supervision <laughs> and nothing to do <laughs> so i don't know i don't know where we go from here i don't know how we resolve the situation but talking about it bringing awareness to it and shining a light on it is going going to do something to move it forward
1: no oh, okay. i believe that
0: and you are a tremendously active advocate for all things. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about of some of your projects that you're that you're working on.
1: So for me, so um after getting out of the military and eventually actually divorcing my ex-husband, um, I really decided to figure out who I was because I didn't feel like I really knew who I was because of how I got into that marriage and because of even just trying so hard in a marriage that you're trying to do all the things that are right and all the things to, to help and, and do whatever. And so then when I got divorced, I decided that I just really needed to figure out who I was. And interestingly enough, I met my um, husband before my divorce was final. And my husband was like, you're it for me. You're the one. And I'm like, whoa, sir, you're going to need to back up. And he's a truck driver, just like your husband. And I'm like, we need to just slow down. And he was like, that's fine. You can do whatever you want. I'm getting your name tattooed across my body. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, sir, I don't even know if I like eggs yet, you know? And so I went through um, a ton of counseling. I went through trying to just figure out what I wanted out of life. And one of the things that I loved and that I learned is that I love to serve. And I love to serve pretty much anybody at any place that they are simply because um, just the act of serving brings me so much joy. And I feel like when I can have these experiences and these narratives, um, I don't have to rely on, on TV or anybody else's experiences. I have my own to work off of. And I got different opportunities. My son was actually going through a really, really hard time. And so a part of it was also connecting with him and trying to keep him above water in all the things that he was going through. And so it was this real time of um, discovery. And one of the things that I decided is that I'm just going to be unapologetically myself. I love that. And I... I understand I don't make sense to a lot of people. A lot of people wouldn't spend the time that I do doing the volunteer thing, um, working with people, trying to figure out how to engage, you know, battling whether it's a school or a parent or a community on the, you know, what is being needed and, you know, how things are going. I just, I see... You know, like people will go, oh, you're so Pollyanna. And I always say I'm the idea fairy. And um, that is who I am. And it's unapologetically. So, so you you can see that as a negative, but I don't. And it just because I see the possibility within a situation doesn't mean I'm wrong. So just because you don't see how these things connect doesn't mean they don't. I you know. have
0: the privilege of watching you, and I don't see you as Pollyanna at all, because Pollyanna, in my mind, is someone who sees just the positive but doesn't see the negative. You are a person who sees all the negative stuff. You just happen to see that there's a way to solve it. You see everything as a solvable problem. So you're like, there's this thing that's not going the way it should be going. I'm going to attack that. And you're not afraid to attack it you're not afraid to make people uncomfortable you're not afraid to call people out you just see what needs to be done and you do it and that's i admire that about you so much so yeah i would never say that you have a pollyanna like that over positive attitude you just are a problem solver
1: well it's funny because that's one guy goes can you dream any bigger and he goes wait don't he goes yeah. I have never known anybody who dreams as big as you do, and I said, well, "I don't know any other way to dream." Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I guess I think, um, and what, and I, I feel like I have been. The universe has rewarded me for this. Like I have created programs where you know um, kids are working out at CrossFit gyms and then they clean the CrossFit gym and they learn reciprocity and the gym owners, I think I need to move couches. <laughs> Let's see.
0: Um oh, is that the sun coming in your light in your window. Yeah.
1: So here. Is that better? Yes,
0: perfect. <laughs> now we can see your beautiful face.
1: Um so yeah, so I, I guess I've just People are like, well, why did you think to do that? And I'm like, well, this one person asked. He goes, I wanted to take the kids to a gym. And I'm like, well, I know a couple gym owners, you know. And I I don't get scared by asking people things. And I think a lot of people are so concerned with their personal credibility. And, um you know, there's another word what's on the line for them. And I'm not, I consider myself a nobody. So I have nothing to lose than to ask.
0: And the worst thing anyone can ever do is say no. Right. I'm not damaging.
1: (laughs) Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you, um, I started, uh, years ago, I was a, um, military relations liaison for a credit union and I was brand new and, uh, this commander, the colonel, had a soldier that he had um, uh, gone to Afghanistan with, and the soldier came back, got out of the military and had cancer, moved to California, my credit unions in Washington State. And um, this commander reaches out to all the civic leaders and that now I'm now I'm a civic leader. You know, because <laughs> I'm the military relations liaison. Never been a civic leader before, (laughs) but now I'm a civic leader. And so he reaches out and he's like, is there any soldier services for this um, veteran who now is battling cancer as a two-year-old daughter? And apparently he's terminal. So I'm like, I have no idea. Like I'm brand new. And um, so I emailed in the database, everybody forwarded his email said, you know, I do not mean to step on toes, but I'm not familiar if we have in our group any resources. So uh, there's this woman, her name um, is Anne Fruit, who was a Kiowa, one of the first women Kiowa pilots. And she started a group called uh, Rally Point. And uh, she used to speak for cancer, um, like as a woman veteran, a speaker for the Cancer Society. So she knew the CEO of the American Cancer Society. So she forwarded on to them. And that person contacted the veteran, flew his family to Texas, did groundbreaking um, treatments, and that veteran is alive today and cancer-free. And so even Anne tells the story to show you don't know who your friends know. Right. And not to be afraid to ask. And so that was a really pivotal moment for me that um, was crazy. So this person who's never met me, doesn't know me, doesn't probably even know that I'm a part of their story, has now gotten the treatment that they needed. And that's not even what they were asking for. Right. (laughs) So, um, so that's part of the reason that I do the work that I do is I just, of course, I see possibility because I believe in us and so And and when we go back to females in the military and men, men, um, I believe our men can do better. I believe in our men. And I feel like when we do the things like boys will be boys and we allow bad behavior, that's when things um, escalate. And it is like we really have to do a lot of work society wise with all of the issues now um, from misogyny to racism to all of them in and out of the military.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Everything that we see with being problematic in the military is, is it's the same things that we're seeing outside of the military. It's just magnified when it's in, right. It it becomes in a fishbowl when you're, when you're talking military problems, they, those, all of those same problems exist everywhere else. I mean, we're, we're having conversations about bullying. We're having conversations about, uh, people being left out, which is a whole different kind of bullying where they're just like ostracized and completely ignored and rejected. And in the military team, that team mentality is so important to be ostracized in the military. is a huge big deal to these kids. kids. <laughs> they're 20. <laughs> they're, they're kids to me. So like we're talking about all these problems, but our kids in high schools and colleges are facing all of the same things. So uh, yeah. Yeah just puts everything in a fishbowl and it's easier to look at from outside of the military and say that that's happening there and not to recognize that it's happening everywhere. I think for people. Right. those guys have a problem instead of like, oh boy, we all have a problem.
1: Well, and I think, and I agree. And I think, um, just looking at and trying to raise and work on our own verbiage and our own biases. Like, there's things that my kids help me with um, that go, oh, mom, you know, did you think about it this way? Um, biasy. And so I have biases that I know I have. And so I work hard to not um, participate in. But then you have your your blind spots. And everybody has them. And we need to not... We need to stop pretending like they don't exist.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So so what are your what are your major focus right now? Because I know you do so and you're involved with so many different charitable organizations, but you also work with organizations that do charitable work. (laughs) So tell us where we can support you supporting your
1: projects well you know that's always a hard question because i feel like um it's so let me back up so i'm the state for washington state um for the association of the u.s army and that's a really interesting and neat position for me to be in because i will be most likely um you know i am the they don't like to say the lowest ranking because you can be a civilian and be a state president, but I know that I'm the lowest ranking because when I got out of the military, I was only a specialist. And most leadership positions, even within the um, uh, volunteer world, are command sergeant majors for the NCOs and then officers and usually lieutenant colonels and up. Um, to generals, and and so it is, I'm a, a unique person to be in the position that I am in with that, but we have our suits for service members program, and we are a military service organization rather than a veteran service organization, so we do deal more with active duty. But I will say one of my favorite organizations right now is um, the Travis Mannion Foundation because it's working veterans with kids. And so oftentimes these kids are um, marginalized populations and they teach character does matter. If not me, then who? And that like, geez, I wish I had come up with that 20 years ago. If not me, then who? Um, That pretty much embodies everything that I believe and do. And so it's really neat to work with, to take the veteran population working with youth because it's, it's sort of like my two worlds, you know? Um, And so, and that is my two worlds. So I work, I've worked with um, kids experiencing homelessness. Uh, I used to run suspended expelled programs for two area high schools. And I did all this work with youth. And then when I got, when my job, job, I always say my job, job, um was like working with a credit union and different things like that on, on the military installation here, I got thrown into the veteran community more so than I had before. So having my experiences, I did not go into military. um I did not find uh, veteran service organizations because I didn't identify with them. You know, I, tried to heal myself from them, and so the idea of going back into a VSO and seeing all that same misogyny and angst wasn't interesting to me, but when it was tied to my job, then I actually learned more and learned what to articulate, so um, in this area, we have the VFW, we have the American Legion, we have AUSA, we have MOA, all these different veteran service organizations what's interesting so vfw and the american legion they have auxiliaries for women and so when i was asked to join the american legion i was asked to join the auxiliary and i'm like but i'm the veteran and they're like but don't you work well more more well with women not so much I'm not a very. So I always say I'm not domesticated. I don't cook. I don't do all the normal female things. And I was a soldier, you know, and it was really odd to me to feel because then what happens is so I go, no, I don't identify. I don't feel like I should be on the auxiliary. I should be with the veterans. Right. So then you're in this room and you're the only woman. So then, they feel like you're a feminist, and I have. It, I can be seen as a feminist to some people, but that's not nearly that's not really my issue or my my platform. And so, then it just felt like everything that I said, or even being there, put a filter on me that wasn't what I identified with completely. And so it just really made it very, this is not my tribe. The American League is not my tribe. I felt the VFW was not my tribe. But AUSA has no auxiliary. It was just, you can be a civilian and be a president of a chapter in AUSA. You don't even have to have served. You can be enlisted or officer. And all the way through their group, and I'm like, okay, well, this is inclusive, so then we're just doing this thing. We're serving our active duty. We're doing this volunteerism so I can get behind it. And I'm like, I can be your AUSA person. And even though there still still is misogyny and issues, it's not the same. It's not the separation same. And so... Uh recently I did become, so I am a part of VFW and um, American Legion, interestingly enough, but I just pay my dues, but I'm helping with a VFW in my area and, it but it's still a challenge. It's, they have an auxiliary, they have, you know, some of the things that I just really don't, I don't know, like we'll see what the next five, 10 years I can see AUSA continuing to move forward, but I don't necessarily see, I see a greater separation.
0: This is echoed. This is echoed um, from some other people that I've talked to that there's, there's a little bit of a stigma where a lot of, a lot of female vets don't. Like a lot of the guys I talked to, they're like, yeah, I'm a veteran. This is when I serve. They're really, really pr- proud of their service. And they're not afraid to just bring it up and just be like, yeah, I'm a veteran. you know. And a lot of the women are a little more reserved about it. They tend not to lead with that. That's not something that they just are super comfortable talking about. It's part of them, but it's not like, hey, I'm a veteran. And, it, and the same kind of reasoning is that they don't feel like they ever quite feel Bit. They were never quite fully in the family. They were never fully accepted. So there's that challenge of, I like, I love this, but I'm not sure how much it loved me back. So there's that, like, I really wanted to be like, I I had these hopes and dreams to just be a part of this thing that I was so proud of, but just, there was a little bit of rejection, a little bit of resistance. And I just never felt a hundred percent like I was embraced the way I was trying to embrace it basically so yeah. um, but i would
1: also say on the flip side like there are female veteran service organizations and i don't necessarily want to be in a room of all women either you know um, and so i think it's been a challenge but i think of the younger military service organizations like team RWB team red white and blue um and I think it's go rock. Um, the mission continues. And like the Travis Manion, it's all inclusive. There's not a separation for the younger ones. The difference is the military, the veteran service organization. So your American Legion, your VFW. They work with getting VA benefits and they lobby Congress for, um, pay for military and for military families and different things like that. The young um, uh, veteran, whether they're service organizations or um, however they're identified, they don't do the things in government and they don't help veterans with claims. Like there might be a person who can help another person, but that's not what their nonprofit does. And so those are, so it's real, it's an interesting dichotomy of needs I think but it is but I also think that that could be there lies the problem too. So if you have to go to a guy at the American Legion or VFW to get your benefits and they have to become your advocate and it depends on how you tell your story. Not necessarily. And and I'll give you an example. So after I got out of the military, um, it was probably almost 10 years. Every time I went to the VA, I said, you know, are are you a victim of sexual or military sexual trauma? You know, talk to us, da-da-da-da-da. So I was like, okay, it's been a long time. I should probably tell somebody. Like I tried to do it in the service. That didn't work so well for me. Maybe I should go through the VA. So I go through the VA and it's painful to go through your traumas. Especially, I not, I don't know about it especially, but like I went through civilian counseling, right? And so you kind of feel like you deal with it and you bury it and you're, you know, you're moving on with your life. But to get VA to honor what's happened you have to open all those caskets up, and so and and tell all the stories again, and all the implication of what that feels like on your spirit, on your person as a parent, as a partner, all of it, right? So I go through and I do all of it—hours of counseling with the VA system, um, through I believe it was the American Legion at the time. And I was denied benefits, and the reasons were the exact reasons that I should have been given benefits. They said that there was no proof of my sexual assault because, in my medical record, it showed it, it didn't show certain things. And usually when women are um, sexually assaulted, they try to um, leave, change their orders. I put myself on orders for Korea. That's in my record. I went to the um, the VA and it, it, like it shows in my medical record, my um, they didn't have rape kits back then, but there were um, the conversations with the... With the medical people and stuff like that, and um, there was one other thing. All of three of those I knew for certain were in my medical records. That means they denied me without ever looking. And so then you go. Almost ten years later, um, my friend is talking about how, you know, they really need to look at women's sexual trauma and da 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 da. And he's like, "Um, it's really a simple process. And I almost do like a 180. Really? A simple process? Share with me this simple process. And he's like, no, I got this guy. He's with um, DAV, which is uh, Disabled American Veterans. And he is amazing. And I'm like, can I do it again? And I think, why would I want to do it again? My daughter wants to go. She's studying criminal justice. I think. Of just. Is it going to be a story that's buried? Or is it going to be telling the truth? You know, and there's just things even within my relationship with my amazing husband that he has to deal with because I suffer from military sexual trauma that people don't realize, you know, go into it. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to take my friend Ron's advice. I'm going to go and see this person. And so I share everything and I'm like, this is what I'm willing to do, but I don't want to do this if it's not going to matter. Like, I would rather you just tell me, It's not going to matter to begin with than me go down this rabbit hole. You know, and he was like, Amy, we got you. And so they went through and I had to, you know, see, and it was way easier than that this last time. But it could have also been way easier because the amount of personal counseling I had gone through. And so because I had gone through that once before, but it still makes impacts. It's still, you know, my kids are like, there's something wrong with you. And I still had to compartmentalize and separate myself from my kids at different times just to heal from what I was going through to share this part. And um, they did a really good job. And I absolutely, I got my benefits. But here's the thing. I only get, you know, I only got the back pay for since disabled American veterans. So the couple months that it took them to get it squared away. Not the 10 years before or the 10 years before that. But I am thankful for my benefit and for going through it. But, you know, it's interesting that now is the time I feel like. The time should have been the time.
0: Right. Your story, again, like you're echoing other people that I'm talking to are saying it's taken 15, 20 years. Like, that's how long it just takes to get through the process to get taken care of. But do you see, but I'm also
1: like, I think it is interesting, the implication of having a guy as the advocate For women's sexual trauma within certain veteran service organizations. Like, are we not even looking at that as a possible cog? Like, you know?
0: Well, and it's also a challenge. Like, you don't want to go to that person. To be like, literally, it's a stopping point just from there. And then what happens after that is a whole nother story. Just the intimidation factor of not having someone to deal with that and the statistics would lead us to believe that such a significant situation there's the numbers are so high that it would a representative should be available mm-hmm. that that represents women's needs i mean you can always ask for a female at the, at the doctor and the, and the gynecologist and i mean there's all there Women have specific needs. So if they're going to recognize women have specific needs and make differentiations, then support also should have differentiations. But <clears throat> it's it's a story we hear a lot. And it's a place we could definitely improve a lot. And please don't, listeners, please don't get us wrong. We're not saying that only women are sexually assaulted in the military or in life the military is also has a really significant problem with men being sexually assaulted as well. So, um, just making the conversation okay, taking away the fear factor, the punishment factor, the, um, just making it so that people are not scared to step forward right when the time comes. And that happens here where we're all talking, but it also happens in leadership and legalities and rules and regulations. So change has to start with us and it moves through the chain. So just everybody out there try to be a little bit more conscientious, a little bit more aware of interactions between each other and what that might mean to someone who has life experiences that are different than yours.
1: Right. I think it's um, and I think it's interesting, like as you as you heal yourself, what what um, part of your life does this story become? Like um, as a female who is, you know, like I said, a USA state president, different things like that. I never wanted people to identify me as being a survivor, even with the word survivor. You know, I wanted... uh, So a lot of people have no idea that I have been um, assaulted in any way, let alone multiple times, and that they don't know any part of it. And it's hard to figure out as a professional woman... Wanting to be known as somebody who's fierce and somebody who has got her own back, right? Because we, you know, we need to be able to um, move forward in a dynamic way with self assurance and all these different things. Yet, if we share the story of vulnerability, um, then that becomes the only story somebody hears. Or the only way they remember you versus all the, you know, crazy things like, you know, she's run 25 half marathons and 14th strongest woman in the U.S. And, you know, all these different things. Oh, she's a um, sexual assault victim. Well, thank you. Thank you. Right. And I'm a grandma, you know, and that I have nothing like nothing else becomes their narrative. And so, which is where it's also a part, but if it doesn't become any part of my story, then how will other women know that it is a part of my story? How will my daughter know that, God forbid, she goes through something that I'm here for her inexplicitly.
0: I love what you say. Survivor is a terminology I struggle with and I am also a survivor. So I would say with my people, when I'm working with them, we go from, we start out as victims. We all feel like victims in the beginning. We all claim that role and jump right into it. Like we literally are fully victims in the beginning. And then we go to survivor as we start to deal with it. But then we're damn lawyers and survivor just needs to kind of come out of the equation. Unfortunately, as you say, we, some of us have to be brave enough, have to be strong enough to, to just put it out there and let people do that to us. Let people label us as survivors. Let people say that that's our story, that that's the only part they hear and remember, because if they hear and remember it, they hurt us. So it hurts us because we're not seen as more than that. But because it sticks, because that's the part that they hold on to, that's the part they identify us as. When they see strong women stand up and say, I'm a survivor, when what we really want to say is, I'm a damn warrior. They don't see that. They don't respect that. They don't buy into that. What they hear and hold on to is, she's a survivor. Wait, if she can be a survivor, so can I. So I think there is a huge amount of power, even even when we don't really like to claim that word so much.
1: That's funny. So my daughter, who um, is thankfully not a survivor of this, but she does have um, other angst and suicidal ideations and different things. And we had to do a lot of work with her. So she was 16. I actually okayed her to have her first tattoo and it was warrior and it's on her forearm because she also got into self-harm. And so it's over some of her scars and the eye and warrior is a semicolon. Which. Yep. And so, um, so she has that on her arm as a reminder that she's a warrior.
0: And that every day you
1: can keep on fighting. Right. And rather than a period, it's a and forward. And so, um, so I actually have a warrior on my back with a semicolon. Um, because just being in the business world that I'm in, most people have no idea I have any tattoos. I would have generals that would probably bet money I don't. And I have lots, but uh, it is,
0: you know, know what North I mean? has a strong history with tattoos.
1: <laughs> so much to the chagrin of my parents, but my, my parents are actually getting um, a little bit more okay with it, but um, you know, cause they're 80 and I don't even think they can see them that much. <laughs>
0: We are getting close to the end of our time tonight. Is there anything else, any other message that you would want to say to our folks out there?
1: My TV is... What do you... <laughs> I apologize for that, but now I'm with for... Um, if you are a survivor, um, just make sure that you always um, put your needs in the forefront and that we realize that we need continued support you know with um, getting counseling and um, all the things compartmentalizing all the things and that is just and I, you know it's probably just a part of everyone but it just it feels like when you're a survivor it's just that much more important
0: definitely agree Definitely agree. Well, thank you so much for being with us tonight. And I look forward to talking to you again. I have the privilege of, of getting to see Amy occasionally in the real world, um, because we're, we're in the same professional group together, our mastermind together. So we actually get to, uh, brainstorm and create projects and do all kinds of really awesome things together. So, uh, just thank you for being here with us tonight and just keep on doing what you're doing because what you're doing is amazing.
1: Well, thank you. You too. Same at you. Thank you so much. I think you do such great work. So I'm a big fan.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. All right, everybody, we're going to sign off tonight. I do just want to remind you that if you are not following the Battle to Be Facebook page, our free group, we are going to be doing a free peer support Zoom meeting every single Monday for all of you guys out there, Uh, and you can find all the deets on that. I will attach them in the comments of all of these after we're done. And I will talk to you guys all again on Tuesday. Christopher, sign me off. Marketing to my sales director and even my lead
1: graphic designer. And less time
0: spent on hiring me <laughs>
1: more time spent on growing my business.